Welcome to the Film Comment podcast. I'm Devika Girish. And I'm Clinton Crude. We're the editors of Film Comment. This week, we're talking about Ahed's Knee, the rawest, most autobiographical film yet by Nadav Lapid, the director of movies like Synonyms and The Kindergarten Teacher. In this new film, Lapid crafts a self-lacerating portrait of an Israeli filmmaker railing at the censorship, hypocrisy, and violence of his government. Last week, we welcomed Lapid for a film comment live talk, exploring Ahed's knee and the questions it raises about state censorship of cinema, the politics of self-critique, and the political role and responsibility of the artist. We were also joined by Jamshid Akrami, scholar of Iranian cinema and director of several documentaries, including A Cinema of Discontent. Listen all the way to the end for Jamshid's translation of a recent viral video in which the legendary Iranian filmmaker, Dariush Mehrjuri, excoriates government censorship. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Your first few films all dealt with law enforcement and masculinity and kind of orthodoxy in society. And this new film is much more personal, but it's also much more of a direct critique of Israeli nationalism. We just kind of wanted to ask what provoked this turn. And do you consider this a turn? Is this just sort of a natural continuation of the work that you were doing? In a way, I guess it's both. After Synonyms, I didn't want to make another movie about Israel. I mean, I felt that I said whatever I had to say. And that, uh, I mean, what can be said after you make a movie about someone who no escaping Israel in order to go to France, feeling that he's going for, from the worst place on earth to the best place on earth, who refuses to talk his language, who, 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 who see this language, Hebrew, as a doomed language, as a language of the devil. I mean, for me, you know, synonyms, there is this list of adjectives of negative adjective that is like uh, articulating about Israel. And Heitz Knee was a kind of, on one end it was totally like, for me, kind of unpredictable project. I said before, I don't, I don't know how much of you were, were before, but I'll, I'll act as if no one of you was there because I'm going to repeat some stuff, so sorry. But uh, the day before I started to write the script, I didn't know that the movie would be done. And two weeks later, two weeks and a half later, there was already a script. So there was something... You're talking about Ahed's knee. I talk about Ahed's yeah. knee. Like I remember, for instance, that the, when the movie was... During the fabrication of the pre-production, there was a Berlin Film Festival and synonyms about the, the Golden Bear. And, and many, many people wrote, and I guess they were right, like intelligent people, I think also in film comedy, about the, the, the ambiguity in, in, in one synonyms. Name. And, and, and to which extent, like this guy, okay, on one hand, he, he has this, this terrible hate and hostility towards Israel, but on the other hand, himself is Israeli and he's a star and he's sexy. And, he's, so, and I remember that I told myself, I don't understand this ambiguity. I mean, when I was doing Ayat's Knee, I told myself the only thing I want is to hit the Israeli head. I mean, I felt that, that there was something, I felt, in a way, I wanted just to shout. I was fed up with this ambiguity, with this uh, on one hand, but on the other hand. Uh, I felt that it's a kind of artistic cliche that complexity equal ambiguity, that when you say one thing and the opposite, you are complex, while when you say one thing, you are, you are shallow, and, and I didn't understand, in a way, why saying one positive word about Israel. I mean, I couldn't find one, one, one positive word to say about, about When Israel. you were writing the script for... When I was, when I was, when, when I was preparing the, 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 the film, yeah. And, and, and I must say that when I, when I watch the movie today, I feel that there's a lot of ambiguity inside it. It's not love-hate relationship, which is like terrible cliche, but it's like intimacy. I think there's, there's intimacy, and, and this intimacy that of course is also the key for the, for, for the rage, for the fury, for, is, is, is something that in a way, you know, it's, I feel as if I put the camera and the intimacy is, 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 is already inside. There's a familial relationship almost that's like... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, why... You mean to say your own movie is betraying you? <laughs> yeah, like, you know, I got to the editing room and I was, I was like watching the materials with the editor and I told her, 
at the end, it, there's a lot of affection to Israel. I, was, I remember I was like, I didn't understand who, who did it. <laughs> In some ways, the movie is really so much more direct than even synonyms, which is also pretty explicit. You say some things out loud, not you, your surrogate, no. I guess. But one way in which I guess it is ambiguous and why we actually wanted to do this is you really excoriate the Israeli Ministry of Culture, you know, the authorities that censor dissenting attitudes towards art. But the film is also managed to get funding from the Ministry of Culture, from the Film Fund, from the Film Council. So how did that come about? What was that process? I'll begin it, it with the end, maybe. Um, we got... For this movie, 20,000 euros from the state of Israel, which is 1.7% of the budget. And I must say that if I would have known that I'll be asked so many times about, about the Israeli Ministry of Culture, but about the logo of Israel, of Israel Ministry of Culture, I would have asked at least for, for double, for double. I mean, because I feel that I, that I work for free, you know, I mean, it's not... Uh, we, we, we but that is, I mean, the point you're raising is a good one that it is kind of becomes like you have the logo, so it becomes kind of PR, even even if the contribution was so small. Yeah, I mean, as you said, there's something there's something funny about feeling that you're trapped. I mean, uh, the story itself, I don't know to which extent it's interesting, but when we decided to make the movie with the French producer, I thought, and I think I was right, that that it's too risky to ask for Israeli funding. And, and, and in all my previous films, I always, whatever it means, I'm, I'm super Israeli. I was born there. I, I really don't think that Israeli money is, is filthy. I mean, it's not more filthy than any other money in the world, I think. But so, so I was like, I, I, never, I never had any problem. But, but here, here it, looks, it looked too risky. Like I was afraid that, that not only will not get the money for such a script, but that, that someone, I don't know, will publish it in the press, in the media. And we decided, although the movie is 100% Israeli, like, unlike synonyms, for instance, that got uh, real funding, we decided, although we didn't have, the budget was really small, we decided to give it up. And only after the movie was selected to Cannes, we applied uh, to get a kind of com complementary support, and two film funds refused, and one gave us these 20,000 euros. They were kind and generous and courageous. Although, it's, of course, it's a ridiculous sum of money. But as you say, in a way, I guess that it's an interesting twist. It's an interesting, you know, it's an interesting twist because it's another way of articulating that this kickboxing dance that I'm dancing with my, with my motherland in all my movies is endless. I mean, that it's always based on like... A, Slapping and kissing, like this. I mean, I mean that it would be forever and ever. I guess I was curious, what was the reaction when you applied? Did they have to look at your cut? Did they have to look at a rough cut? Did they have to look at a script? Because the ministry that you describe in the movie seems, or the character described in the movie seems so censorious. Like, was this, were these people different who... Ended up supporting when when film? when we applied, it was already a different ministry. It was after there were like um, it was after like 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 the elections in Israel, and and it was a different ministry. I know that we're supposed to talk about censorship, but I I, I would like to say that I think that that unlike as far as I know, I mean I'm not I'm not an expert neither to Iran nor I've been I've shown my film in places like Russia, Turkey, in China they were censored, but. But Russia and Turkey and, 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 and I think that the Israeli case is different. Like even I think that even even in the worst days of Israeli censorship, for the best and for the worst, in Israel you don't have to throw film directors to jail uh, or to put, I don't know, tanks or soldiers in the entry of the offices of film funds because this um, internal conflict between the regime and, and the people that doesn't really exist. Like, in a way, basically each one of us is a small censor, yeah. and, and the censorship comes from within, and, and in a way, people, you know, Israeli film directors, also whatever it means, left wings, etc. It's extremely common that when they are criticized for their movies, the most common answer is, but we are the best ambassadors of Israel. 
And as if, I, ne I, I never understood why a film director should present himself as an ambassador. But there is something as if, at the end, we all serve a bigger cause. You know, if you're a film director or a flamenco dancer, at the end you're a part of the, you know, of the general Israeli cause. So, so in this sense, I think that, the, I mean, of course it's great that film directors or, or, or writers are not uh, rotting in jail. But in a way, in a way, there's something about the fact that this harmony between artist and the regime is also terrible. State funding of movies that are critical of the state is not uncommon. And mostly in developing nations. We had a situation in Iran before the revolution. I'm talking about before 1979, where the so-called Iranian new wave which had made some noise across the world and was starting actually a new cinema in Iran, was mostly funded by uh, the Iranian government agencies, the cultural agencies of the government, uh, like the Ministry of Art and Culture or like the television uh, entity in the country, and they were all receiving government budgets. And that was mainly because there was no other source of funding we had a commercial cinema. It was the mainstream Iranian cinema. It was something not really like Bollywood, but it had the same function. And there was no way the private sector would invest money in making a sort of highbrow kind of movies. We used to call them either cultural or artistic movies back then. So it was left to the government. And the government at the time, under the Shah, the whole country was going through a process of modernization. And there was this uh, reimagining of the country by the Shah's government as you know, the great civilization that is well ahead of us. And they weren't predicting what happened after the revolution, which was no great civilization, obviously. So. The, that, to them, that was like a function of the cultural entities of the government to support these movies, even though the movies were critical of the government policies. And they were making fun of the process of modernization in the country. Movies like OK Mister, you can tell from the title, it was made by Pavis Kimiyavi at the time. Or he made another movie about the, called The Mongols. It was about the invasion of Iran by modernity basically. Or there was another uh, much more realistic movie called The Mina Cycle, was about the blood trafficking in Iran and how people get sick because of the dirty blood. And that movie was actually censored. You said almost all entities in Israel allow themselves to be censors at one point or another. That movie was was actually requested to be banned by the Iranian Union of the Physicians. So they were the censors in this case. And that movie remained banned for three years until the Shah himself intervened and said, no, no, there's nothing wrong with this film. You can show it. So in Iran, we have this saying that the knife wouldn't cut its own handle. It's, wouldn't that be similar to don't bite the hand that feeds you? But in Iran, the filmmakers were doing that. And they were getting away with it. They were getting funding from the government, and they were attacking the government. The new regime, the Islamic regime, learned their lessons. I mean, they only support the propaganda movies. First of all, they don't finance them. And if there is a movie with outside financing, which is critical of the government, they immediately ban it. I mean, the censorship after the revolution is much harsher compared to what it was, which we can talk about later. I want to say another thing that, that basically I think that, that the process that happened in Israel, I mean, in Israel for years, there was something totally schizophrenic because like the, the, the state had its oppressive sides while art and mainly cinema was basically totally free. I mean, there was something really strange that, that on one hand, like the state, did what he did, and at the same time you could do easily the harshest movies being financed without having the slightest uh, anxiety or fear. And this 
harmonious and harmonious machine went very well. But I remember that I, that I always thought, first of all, in a way, I'm not like any prophet or something like this, but I always felt that it's going to end at a certain moment because there's something, it's also like, no, like film, cinema is not poetry. Cinema is connected to, to money, to material, to capital. Like when you make a movie, you need trucks, you need, you need crew. So it's too connected to the, to the basic essence of the, of, the, of the state to be so detached. And so, also there's something almost unfair about it because like, you know, I mean, why should filmmakers profit from such a liberty where others don't? And I feel that in a way, it arrived today to a more, I wouldn't say healthy because it's unhealthy, but to a more reasonable point where this basic uh, argument of, 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 of Israeli, I don't like these words, but let's say right wing, saying in a way, we are the, the majority why don't we control cinema? I think they are right. I mean, I think, they, I think they are right because otherwise it becomes a kind of, cinema becomes a kind of snobbish, elitistic, too easy, uh, how do you say it, reservoir like this. Where like uh, outside people as, are in cage and inside people like, you know, they, they, so, so maybe it's a normal process i mean maybe maybe filmmakers should should, should live inside their, their state inside their, their, don't you think do you think it serves this harmony that you're describing but in a sense even the people who are complaining why don't we control the cinema do you think it also serves their agenda in some way because it does you know it serves this impression of a very democratic system right like that's the pinnacle of a democratic system where the, the people can critique the state and still benefit from its liberties. I think it characterizes societies that are what we see, I think, all over the world, that, that, that are not complex anymore. You know, as long as, as, as states are complex, so they need to do this, to create this facade. But the moment that, 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 that you are not complex anymore, that you said, yeah, that's, that's who I am, I don't have any problems with this. Like complex so, in terms of like pluralistic ideologies, different people with different ideas about the world, you mean? I'm, I'm sorry, the, the, talking about my filmography, but for instance, when, when I made the kindergarten teacher... That is the topic. It's, okay. you, can, <laughs> you can refer back to it. Okay, okay. So I remember that when I, when I made the kindergarten teacher, in a way, I thought that, that a way of describing Israel is like a place where people don't love poets anymore, hate poets. In a way, they don't have any problems with it. They say, we, we, we hate poetry. They, do, they don't have to keep these, these poetry books that they never open in order that the guests, because also the guests don't have these, these poetry books, so everything is okay. It's just an anecdote, but I remember that, that maybe, I don't know, two years after the movie, there was, there was um, a minister that, that was giving a speech in a kind of um, party reunion, and he made a kind of quote of Albert Camus, and I don't remember how, but, but he, mis, he mispronounced his name. And then he said, I don't know, Camus, doesn't matter. And then, like, someone in the audience, like, shouted, no, you say Camus, and then he said, uh, what do you want? I didn't read a single book in the last 10 years. And everyone was, was, was applauding. And, and I felt that this, this was like the... the, the the thing, I mean, I mean, when you... So the complexity, you mean, of this, like, the rise of this kind of anti-intellectualism. Yeah. yeah. Right. The lack of complexity. Interesting, yeah. I think we see that hate of poetry I think, in, in, I many, in many places in the yeah, world. Yeah, you know it very, sure. very well, yeah. I guess. Yeah. The United States is certainly not immune to it. You mentioned uh, being an ambassador, or feeling like filmmakers had to be ambassadors. And we also wanted to talk about how Hudson kind of addresses the issue of national cinema, like an, being an Israeli filmmaker, what it means to be an Israeli filmmaker. I think that this film kind of digs into that pretty directly. And I think maybe, so our question is, do you consider yourself to be an Israeli filmmaker? And what would it mean to be an Israeli filmmaker? Or any kind of national filmmaker? And I think we want to ask Jamshid if you have any thoughts on that too. You know, you made the kindergarten teacher. And... That was such an Israeli movie. I mean, almost every element of it. I I'm sorry if you haven't seen it, but I highly recommend it. And the, the kind original. of... original. You recommend the original. The original, the Israeli movie. And then there was a remake of it four years later, 
an American movie. And you compare the two, and that gives you the idea of what a national cinema is like. I mean, the two movies are so different. Yes, they have the same plot. I'm sure you've seen the American version. There's nothing, nothing from the Israeli spirit of your movie in the American version. Because basically what they did, they picked up the plot point from your movie and turned into an American movie, a kidnapping story, basically. Your movie has a soul. The American movie is just a movie. You know, a movie that tells you the story, a thriller, you know, kidnapping stuff like all other movies. So that tells you something about the national cinema. I'm not saying that in America there is no national cinema, but it's not represented by Hollywood. I mean, there's obviously a national cinema here, but it's different. The independent American cinema is the American national cinema. Actually, it's an interesting example, I think, because first of all, it's true that it's exactly the same script, and yet it's like two different movies. Completely. And, uh, and that when I watched the American movie, I'm, I mean, I thought it, it was, it was good, but, but I felt that, again, although it's exactly the same scenes, the same script, the same dialogue, it's, it talks about something completely different. Like, I felt that it talks about midlife crisis or something like this. And that in a way, in a way, poetry was kind of margin. I mean, this, this woman also could have had an affair with a guy from the supermarket, a young guy. I mean, in a way, she, she wanted to do something uncommon, something like this, which is which is a good topic, but, but like there, my film was, was, was about using poetry, I mean, I mean ex examining this situation of poetry was all, also a way to, to understand, to, to feel the pulse, the DNA of a place, of a nation. I think, you know, that all my movies, and afterwards I want to do different movies, I don't want to do these movies anymore, but, but, but all... Isn't but, that what you thought after synonyms? Yeah, it's wrong. But but don't yeah. But 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 no. But 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 I feel that all my movies deal with this. Again, I don't like this word because it was too used. But this identity thing, you know, identity is such an abstract and such a concrete thing. It's something that you, on one hand, you don't understand, but you feel it. You you you. It sounds, as I said, it sounds extremely abstract, but you feel it in the slightest gestures. Suddenly, you know, in the most daily things, suddenly you feel that there's another thing inside you, which is not only yourself, or which became part of yourself. You dream about getting rid of it in order to be free, but you're afraid that nothing will remain of you if you won't have identity. It'll be like a balloon filled with helium or something like this. You'll be just empty. Sometimes it's a little bit like Rosemary's baby, like you feel that you have the devil inside you, but maybe the devil is yourself. So what I'm trying to say that on this sense, I guess that for me, like I feel that being an Israeli director, it's not a choice. Is it, I mean, kind of going off of that, I do wonder, like, is it useful to speak about cinema in national terms, do you think? Uh, especially because nationalism is so fraught nowadays at this point in history, but it's been for many years, um, you know, nation states are like fraught and mostly oppressive regimes. So is it useful still to speak of cinema in national terms, to speak of an Israeli cinema, to speak of an Iranian cinema? Or is that something that is coming from state funding, from state support, or is there something other than that that makes it useful to think of cinemas in terms of nations? Well, in Iran, at least, uh, there's no talk of national cinema uh, since the 1979 Islamic Revolution. They're talking about Islamic cinema. And after 40 years, 40 years plus, nobody knows what an Islamic cinema is like. It's like, you know, in Israel, having a Jewish cinema. Can you have a Jewish cinema? They, they are good in labeling things. Like, for example, they changed the label of the Ministry of Art and Culture to the Ministry of uh, Culture and Islamic Guidance. Can you imagine that? It would be something like having a ministry called the Culture and is, uh, Jewish Guidance or Culture and 
Christian guidance. Can you imagine that, having your highest agency that supervises all the cultural and artistic activity under that kind of brand? So the Islamic cinema is also a brand like that, but completely shallow. So, Still, so, can so when, when they talk, for instance, about Abbasco Islami movies, they consider it as, as Islamic cinema? No. I mean, they can't, because there's nothing Islamic about it. And this is the credit that should be given to Iranian filmmakers, that they have been fighting this government and the Iranian censors without really fighting it. I mean, you can, in Iran, you cannot be anti-regime. You have the luxury of making a movie like Ahezni. No Iranian filmmaker can make a movie like that in Iran. They'd be sent straight to jail, if not assassinated. So we're talking about two different worlds. I mean, no, totally. every Iranian filmmaker would love to be in your position in terms of having the freedom of attacking their own government, being critical of their own government. But that's not the situation in Iran. Situation in Iran as a filmmaker you either have, have to sell yourself to the government, be a pro-government filmmaker, and a lot of them are right now, and get funding and everything, or be sort of indifferent and apolitical, which is what Abbas Kiarostami was, which is what Asghar Farhadi is right now, and they realize that's the only way they can survive, and they still make the kind of movies they would like. Not all the movies that they would like, because they're still under self-censorship. So they're very limited in terms of what they can produce. And again, I think filmmaking in Iran, especially for people like, well, the late Kiarostami, Asghar Farhadi right now, it's like a miracle. I mean, the censorship is so harsh and restrictions are so tough that no filmmaker, filmmaking should be possible under those circumstances. But not only they're making movies, but they are also, even more than Israeli films, they have, a, they have turned into main staples of so many film festivals. Uh, a film like Farhadi, Farhadi has won two Oscars within the space of uh, six years. That's what I call a miracle, to be able to make movies like that in the face of those restrictions. When, when I hear you, I mean, I'm, I don't know if it's connected to anything, but I don't know, when, when I decided to start to make films, it was totally under the influence of Iranian cinema. I remember I, I lived in Paris. I was like, I don't know, 22 years old. And the best thing that existed was Iranian movies. I was like, uh, like, Kiwistami and Mahmal Bef. And, and the, for me, they were like totally, not only my heroes, but, but they, 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 they Throughout their movies, I understood how cinema is the most is the best way to to express existence and beauty and truth. So it's on this sense, it's really miraculous that all of this takes place in in in, in a system that denies truth, for instance. Yeah. For those of you who may not be completely aware of, the Iranian censorship is unique. In the history of cinema, that's what I'm talking about. Because, well, Iran has never been a democracy, but it was a modern secular dictatorship under the Shah, and we had censorship. Like you couldn't be critical of the Shah's uh, modernization process, or you couldn't be critical of the government, the army, the police. But that's what I would call political censorship, which has existed in many countries, in many dictatorial countries, and it still does. But after the revolution, not only they kept those uh, political codes, but they added religious codes to them. In Iranian movies, men and women could not have the slightest physical touch, even holding hands. And I'm not talking about two lovers holding hands. I'm talking a father or actor playing a father, not being able to hold the hand of his daughter. Or a mother not being able to uh, hug her son. No physical contact is allowed in Iranian movies. Women are not allowed to dance or sing in Iranian movies. Women have always have to have their hair covered, even when they're sleeping in bed, even when they're in the privacy of their homes. 
can you make any of your movies under those kind of uh, censorship codes? I mean, it's impossible. But, but the last, yeah, I, I just saw not long ago the, the, the film of Osolov, but for, him, for instance, his movie is extremely critical, and there I felt that some of these things that you talked about, I mean, I don't know to which extent they exist. I mean, I know that he paid a price for it. Yeah. So just to continue my sort of simplified categorization of the Iranian filmmakers, we have those two categories. And then the third one is are people like Jafar Panahi or Mohammad Rasulov. They have completely ignored the Iranian censors. They make their movies surreptitiously. They know they can't show their movies in Iran. But thanks to the sort of international reputations that they've gathered, a Panahi movie could open any festival, or Rasulov can get in a, into any film festival. And they can also have uh, a market. Thanks to Kino Lorber, uh, they can sell their movies and they can make some money that way. So it's not, they can survive without having their movies being shown in Iran. But as you mentioned, they pay a price. They both went to jail for a period. Uh, they are not allowed to uh, travel outside of Iran. Uh, Panay has been banned from filmmaking for 20 years, but he still makes his movies. There is a sort of uh, sentence hovering over his head for six years in jail. The government can uh, put that into effect any time. So yes, there's a personal price to be paid, but uh, that's the unfortunate situation. And there's one category of filmmakers that we do not have in Iran, and that would be the anti-government filmmakers. Would you consider yourself an anti-government of Israel filmmaker? Your movies tell us that you are. I, Let me give you another example. A Michael Moore. Meanwhile... <laughs> well, we're dying to hear your answer. Okay. You're listening to the Film Comment Podcast. Sign up today for the Film Comment Letter. It's a free weekly digital newsletter featuring original film criticism and writing by Film Comment's editors and brilliant contributors. The letter delivers exclusive features, reviews, interviews, streaming picks, news, and more directly to subscribers' inboxes every Thursday before they're published on filmcomment.com the following Monday. Sign up today at filmcomment.com. No, but I consider myself as a researcher of Israeli government. collective soul. No, no, of Israeli collective soul. Not, 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 I, I don't That's care right. about the Israeli government. I mean, uh, you know, today they here, tomorrow they're somewhere else. But uh, the, the DNA and, and, and in a way also the disease is chronicle. And, 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 and the government is only, only an arbitrary expression of this, of this, uh, of this disease. So you distinguish between the state and the uh, I yeah I, I, soul of the I mean on this sense I never I don't feel that I'm doing political movies or at right. least in the way that I think that political movies are usually interpreted because usually usually I think when we talk about political movies we have in head someone who wants to take to talk about a specific political issue. And to promote uh, his 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 opinion, like a possible solution, uh, or at least to 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 indicate the gravity of the problem, etc. All these things that don't exist in my movies, I I, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't do a movie about the problem of checkpoints or how Israeli soldiers are dealing with. As I said, I try. I think that, that I try to dig inside what I feel is, is the DNA of a nation, is the collective soul of a nation, and try to, to portray it and to, 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 to put it on, to turn it to something physical, because it's very abstract, and to put it on a screen with, with, with body gestures. And politics is, is a way to dig inside this soul, but that's why I feel that sometimes in my movies, and also I think in Aizni, when people are doing the most political activity, like someone can, 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 can recite a, an extremely political manifest and it will be the most personal and private uh, things that he has done and he can dance or kiss or make love in an extremely political way. 
So that's why also, I mean, I never thought that I'm doing left-wing movies. I, th- I think I'm, I'm happy in a way that when I feel, when, I think that my movies would never be shown in a political gathering of neither of the parties of the political parties in Israel, including the one I'm voting for. What lineage of filmmakers, writers, or artists do you place yourself within, you know? Who do you, and they need not be Israeli, but they could be Israeli. Like, who do you, who are you, whose steps do you think you're following in, in doing this kind of work? First of all, it's, it's changing. I mean, there are like a kind of a retrospective in France, and, and they ask me to do like a carte blanche, you know, to choose, like to select like movies that are close to my heart and... And, and they, they told me, okay, please try to limit yourself to five movies. It was after Ride Sneak. And I remember that I told myself, fuck, I mean, I'm going to have like 50 movies. And, 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 uh, and at the end, I could hardly find four. And this is because, for instance, now I think I'm in a point in my cinema where I'm replacing my, I wouldn't say idols, but my companions. I mean, there are a lot of movies that I still feel that were for me sources of inspiration, um, sources of inspiration. And today I still think that they are great, but they don't inspire me anymore. Uh, and, I, and I'm looking for new ones. So, 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 so in a way it's like a problematic timing for the question, but, but I feel, I guess I feel very close to it's very old-fashioned to say Shantara Kermana. She, she, she's already from the, I feel like old. You named up Eisenstein in the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but Yomkin, it's, it's marvelous. I, I could watch it all day long. But I can tell you, for instance, as in this movie, my, 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 my biggest source of inspiration was uh, the return of uh, Twin Peaks by by Lynch. I mean, I watched it, I, to say I watched it again and again and again, I feel it's a little bit embarrassing, as if I took things out of it, I didn't take anything. But but but, but there was something in, in this ambience of, of strangeness and, 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 and terrifying strangeness uh, that, 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 you know, in this, this no man, no man land. It, it was 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 truly inspiring for me, and also I liked the idea that it was at least that's the way I saw it. It was totally non-ideological. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean. It's strange to 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 to, to say about film like I admit that it's not it's non-ideological, but. Yeah, there was something about about Lynch cinema. Also, I think before, like before, before we we did uh, talk with Ira Zaks this year after the movie, and he said very wisely, I think he said that he felt that the movie is filled with pain, and that the shooting was all in, the, in a way that the the joyful moments were were cinematic. So this is also something that that. In a way, I think, in this sense, also in a way, Lynch was a kind of inspiration, because it's, it's in a way you feel like the the yeah, as if the only the only uh, the only beauty is the cinematic gesture. This is also something that Carax say. Also, Carax, I would name is one of them. Yeah. He has a lot of he's out of curiosity and maybe outside of what we're supposed to be discussing, but he uses a lot of punctuations in your movies. Uh, punctuation as in breaks, for example, distanciation techniques. Uh, you do that for the same purpose to keep your audience awake? Yeah, I'm talking about the similarity to uh, Brechtian uh, distanciation in your movies and uh, how the kind of form that you use is almost like slapping the audience in their face to keep them awake to, you know, those uh, bursts of musical set pieces in the middle of nowhere, you, you know, they, they come so unexpected. The uh, whip pants that you keep using in your movies, the traveling shots, the following your uh, character so closely, having them 
violate the personal spaces, each other, personal spaces of each other. I mean, those are all constant reminders that, hey, don't be absorbed by this movie. <laughs> Just uh, be on your own and think of your own situations, your own uh, issues, and this is just a movie you're watching. The very strong presence of uh, formal elements and the way you manipulate those formal elements. Yeah, I mean, I mean maybe, maybe, maybe like several things to say about it. First of all, I think you know that for me, this is just a movie. It's, I mean, but, but of course, for me, it's a very emotional thing, just a movie. I mean, movies, for me, it's the most moving, moving thing. In a way, like, sometimes I feel myself like a, a citizen in the kingdom of cinema, you know. And in a way, I prefer this cinema, this kingdom about, sometimes about the normal kingdom, the Israeli kingdom, the American kingdom. I prefer the cinema kingdom. Sometimes I do feel that nothing is more beautiful than this, this cinematic gesture and more moving also in the cinematic gesture. And I never, I never wished to simply alienate. I mean, alienation wasn't one of my targets. On the other hand, I do feel that... I, I don't know why, but I do feel that people don't want to see anything anymore. I mean, I, 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 I think that maybe it's a generational thing. I think that it's maybe, you know, I, I was started to, to make my movies and grew up in a period where cinema is not anymore so important, where you feel that it became like the religion of minority and not of the majority. I think, you know, if, if like, I imagine like that, but I imagine filmmakers in the 70s, that they felt that they represent the majority. And, 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 and I, feel, I feel totally different. And, 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 and in a way, yeah, in a way, I feel that, that if, if you wouldn't take the, the heads of people and will shake it 20 times really powerfully, they will, they will, they will look at their iPhones. I feel that... There's something extremely fragile in these movies. That these movies they can easily they can easily be ignored. That people can easily be indifferent, and that in a way, this whatever it means, these provocations, it's 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 the only way to 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 try to 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 touch them, to touch their their souls. Um, With this movie, maybe what is it that you were trying to? Uh, I mean, we had a question that was pretty broad, and it was like, "What do you want? What are you trying to do? Like, what are you trying to communicate here? And what are you trying to get across?" And more like, and I think this is this kind of comes out of this question of political and personal too. Is this a personal film, or are you trying to affect some or influence the political landscape in some way, or make, or are you trying to? analyze your own experience of it. I mean, when you shake people, what are you trying to shake them to, to see? It's a good question. And, you know, you might not have an answer to that. That's no, okay. No, you, no, it's, need to. you know, I'm, I, don't, I don't exactly know what my movies are telling. Right. You know, when I discuss, for instance, here, like when I discussed, for instance, the scenes... I mean, it's not, it, it, it sounds like a pose to say it, but it's true. I mean, when I discussed, for instance, the scenes with the main actor, so, uh, I mean, it really helped that he's a choreographer because we were talking about rhythm all the time, not about meaning. Like we said, I was telling him, here you are, ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta, and then ta-ta-ta-ta-ta, and again, ta-ta-ta. Like he, he's and a dancer, right? Is he's, that... he's a, yeah, he's a mainly choreographer, so, so, he, so he, the rhythm was, was it's a, it was a simple for him, but, but so I was watching David Lynch, etc. But the thing I was watching the most was Jackson Pollock running and hitting the how do you call it the, the paint, yeah, yeah. paintings, yeah, yeah. So I feel that my movies, I mean, I don't know that maybe maybe they are they are the closest to expressionist painting, for instance. 
and there is there is this wonderful sentence and uh, that, that the expression is painter that I don't want to paint the car but the emotions that the car left in my in my heart after after it passed I want to to put feelings on the screen and in a way I don't want to leave the choice to the audience to feel them or not I want to force them to feel them but feelings it's like it becomes like a cheap word because feelings are, are I think are composed of of ideas of ideology of opinions of of you know feelings it's not like uh, being sad being happy ambiguous you might even say yeah uh just one final question I think and then we'll open it up but um, you know the occupation of Palestine haunts your films like a specter the last couple of ones especially in this one it is referenced most explicitly in the title and the opening and the dialogue but at the same time it still remains very much in the world of this filmmaker and how he's grappling with that specter and we wanted to ask about that choice and did you consider a version of this movie that would have Arab characters and actually focus on Ahed or you know these incidents that haunt the filmmaker and propel him to make the movie yeah. I mean, you know I mean regarding this this, this proximity and this uh, distance between myself and why so I never thought about making a movie named Ahed's knee or about Ahed's Tamimio in all my movies and maybe especially like Palestine Palestinians as you said or the occupation that it's it's hunting the movie but they never they they hardly or they're never present politically I would say that in a way for me in my head the Palestinian is already an integral part of the of the mind of the soul of it of the Israeli I think like that that when the Israeli is looking at the mirror he sees the Palestinian and 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 that in a way in their absence they are they are much more present that in if I would try to do all sort of representations of them as I think you see sometimes in, in political more conventional political Israeli cinema in a very in a very instinctive way I, I basically I want I want always to do only the movies that I have to do and only the movies that I'm the only person who's able to do and I'm not the only person who's able to show Palestinians and to talk about and I don't like to talk about topics I think you know it's like very it's like sounds to me like very cold cinema this cinema that talks about topics for me there was something fascinating about it and in a way I think that it's a kind of key also to the movie because when I think about the it's the mimi story I don't know how much how, how, how many of you know it like a young Palestinian uh, girl from 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 a family lives in West Bank from a family of uh, political militants who became like very famous from a very young age she was confronting like the Israeli soldiers and and, and in a way that the most famous incident took place like around four years ago when she she, she slapped an Israeli soldier and she was 16 or six, 16 and a half and and afterwards she was thrown to prison for nine months or something like this but but this item made me think you know I think it's like on one hand it's like extremely concrete and specific and, and, and political and, and, and real and almost from the world of, of news of you of YouTube of documentary on the other hand it's It's totally legendary and mythical when you watch her like this you know in a, confronting the Israeli soldier I, I, I always told myself that if she would have lived in the 15th century she would have become the hero of so many paintings of Leonardo da Vinci and, and Raphael and, and she, it would become like like a, a recurrent theme you know in the Renaissance painting they would have they would have I could I can only already imagine like the statues in the piazza you know of Aitamimi and the soldier Joan of Arc yeah 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 exactly I mean you you think of fair you think of Jandar so it's it's almost non-political it's almost like mythical it's almost from the world of legends it's a place where, where art you don't understand if it's more artistic or more political and I think that it's it's also something that in a way exists in the movie which is which is a combination between the most here and now uh, elements like 
you know, real names, real names of politicians, real names of, of, of YouTube uh, videos, uh, censorship. And the sa same time, it's, it's like, well, I wouldn't like to spoil the movie for those who didn't see it, but, so I wouldn't say the word it ends with, but the earth looked upon from the, from the sky throughout the cloud. I mean, you know, it's the most general, distant, existential, maybe, thing. Um, yeah. I think just comparing your movies to other Israeli movies that I have seen, your movies are mostly about your interpretations, your personal interpretation of the issues, as opposed to something, showing something in very realistic terms. For example, you talked about the Checkpoint movies and the movie that represented Israel in the Academy Awards this year. Was It didn't make the short list, but it was uh, Let the Morning End. That was the title, yeah. And that deals with the checkpoint issues and the main characters are Palestinian in that movie. And in a way, people have come to expect those kind of movies, directly political movies from Israeli cinema. And your movies, none of your movies are like that. Your movies are like through a particular personal lens. And, you know, we really don't expect to see the naked realities of the... Uh, Israeli society in your movie, just your interpretations of that. I, it's, I mean, I, I can say that I don't like directors who are doing research. I mean, I think that, that your research should be your life. I mean, I mean you know, my, my, my research, my, the research I did in order to make my movies was to live. And in a way, I feel, I mean, after words, everyone can do whatever he wants, of course, but I'm not the Minister of Culture, but, but, but there's something about this you know, studying the topic. So these like, are your rules of who gets Nadal up in Exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. The form is here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I haven't done any research. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's take it to the audience over there. I'll just quickly repeat that just so it's on our recording. So the question is about Nadav's use of the body in Ahed's knee. And sorry, I'm reducing your question, but why you make your actor do weird things with the body? <laughs> So, so my first co conclusion is that you don't suffer from backache because, because you, you think that it's like weird things, but I think that people who suffer from backache know that, that, this, that, that, that at least I'm doing these exercises uh, five times a week, so uh, they are annoying, but they are. I, I, I'll say that maybe, maybe, maybe I'll start with the use of the body and then I'll try to, to, to relate it. I mean, I think that, that in general, like in my movies, I mean, it's it's long, but 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 like I I said that in in general in my movies, the bodies is a kind of counterweight to the language to the words. Like in all my movies, I think there is this element of someone who's trying to use language in order to redeem, redeem the world, redeem himself, redeem the universe. I don't know its synonyms. It's like using French words in order to, to save himself from Israel. In the kindergarten teacher, it's like using poems in order to save a world, a, a world that lost its brain or soul. And here, yeah, I mean, I mean he's using these words in order to, to redeem, to save his, his country, to save his mother, to save also himself. But, but in a way, the common thing is also that these people, they feel that they must use all the words. I mean, in a way, you cannot fake. If you are not using the words in a fundamental way, if, if, you, if, you, if you are missing one single detail, you know, that's why all the time he's like saying, I'm shortening, I'm shortening, but he keeps on, keeps on, you know, accumulating details in a way. You must be addicted to the detail. You must respect any slight details because otherwise everything is doomed. And, 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 and in all these the movies, these attempts end with a failure. Like, I don't know, it's me, he has this, this speech, trans speech, and he ends it like, I feel that he ends it like empty, as if he emptied himself from words. He said everything and the universe stayed the same, and, and it's him who ends the 
this speech collapsing on his knees. Um, and I think that in a way the body is a kind of, it's a kind of, you know, the, 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 the counter option. It's the counter option to the, to, the, to the words. Also, you know, for instance, you know, if you think about synonyms, like it's, it's a, someone who replaces words, he cannot replace his body. And, and in a way, the body contains, contains everything that he tries to, to, to flee. I think that this movie is, in a way, less physical movie. I think that it's the less, it's my first movie that is not about manhood. And this is because I think that it's the first movie where the main character is already an adult. I mean, what can you say? Youth ends at a certain moment. And, and in a way for him, you know, the body exists, but it exists as a souvenir from the past. I mean, wh where the body exists, it exists in these military scenes. There you see, there, there, there you see this celebration of body. And as you said, in a way, the only thing that he can still do with his body is weird, strange things. So, yeah, yeah. Let's be optimistic, but uh, but uh, no, but 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 in a way, I think the presence of body, like for instance, I don't know, in a film like Synonyms, is, is totally mythical. Totally, here became a little bit ironic. It's interesting. Synonyms linguistic title Ahed's knee corporeal title. There's that. Yeah, and it's true, and and and, and I, I, I think that as a part of this. The body, which became ironic, it's also enlightening body parts that are not are not glamorous. You know, we don't we don't talk here about eyes, about lips, about chest. We talk about knee. I mean, I mean, the only person who thought that knees glamorous was Romel. Claire's knee, Claire's knee was glamorous and sexually appealing. <laughs> Uh, the question is, pushing back on the statement that the film is not about masculinity, he wants to know if you could talk about gender in the film and the central relationship between Y and deputy director of libraries, right? And uh, maybe you could talk a little bit more about that. So now after I declared that the film is not about masculinity, yeah, you I should go explain back. Why, why is hey, it about masculinity. Hey, I didn't ask the question. Yeah. But, uh, That's a question, more a correction. Yeah, yeah. more of a correction. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's funny because uh, I don't remember I had the screening not here but somewhere like two or three days ago, and someone asked if it could have been the opposite, like that you you would have been like a a woman, like a female filmmaker, and she would have been like a young male bureaucrat, and and I. And and I think that I answered that it's an interesting option, but I totally didn't believe in in, in the possibility of this option. I mean, but I I mean I mean I I feel that I need a little bit help here because I must say that I'm not I ne I never I was let I'll, I'll say differently. I I think that basically in my movies, as I said, because they were uh, digging with the collective, so uh, so in a way the feeling is always that the that the purest expression of the soul passes through manhood. That in a way, young men potentially in uniforms are the purest expression of this soul. They are the most hideous, but in a way most also most sexy, uh, 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 most beautiful reflection of this place. I mean, everything that is done is done for them. They are the young gods. Why did I say it? Because I think that on this sense, although I had like the kindergarten teacher, like the main the main character is a, is a woman, but I never I never I was never thinking about this perspective of gender in the I think maybe in the modern way, contemporary contemporary way that we use it, because because things were clear to me. I mean, this was the country of young men, and all the other are statistics. For instance, what you. I mean, I think that, 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 that in Ayat's knee, there's something interesting about the relation of, of force, of strength, which is changing all the time, because on one hand, he is like the, the filmmaker who, who is ready to do everything in order to get his per diem, 
and she's like representing the, 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 the state, the institution, the authority, the power. At the same time, it's clear that when in a one-on-one -on -one situation, uh, he becomes the, 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 the powerful one, and in some moment even her tormentor, and she becomes the, 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 the victim. And I guess it's connected also to the fact that he is like suddenly he becomes like the 50 years old man who's shouting on a young woman. Like, you know, there is this moment when he's like doing this, 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 this almost kind of inquiry. Like he asks her questions and, and when she tries to answer, he says like, no, it's not true. Like, and, and he's raising his voice and you feel that there's something in this. You see, you see it, I think, very often on TV, you know, the, you see how suddenly men, they are shouting and their voice is, is, is louder. But there's this kind of control, from the moment they first meet, there's this, like, it's really clear that there's this, and it's very controlled in the film, but um, kind of dance and flirtation between them almost, but it's but they're each doing it for different reasons, it seems, and very, but that seems to be kind of, happens, it kind of develops over the course of the movie. So that, I think, is like sort of, I don't know how to read that. I'm not going to offer a reading of it. I think yours is pretty good. But it does seem like it's not a, as much about that toxic young man masculinity that you've addressed in, the, in your other films, like the men in um, uniforms yeah. jumping around. Well, that wasn't really a question. As I said before, like, 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 you know, when, when, when Devika asked me, like, for sources of inspiration, I said, like, Chantal Ackerman. And then, I mean, I'm so not the right person to, I don't understand, I, I can, I can hardly use, how do you call the thing that you take out money from the, how do you call it? ATM. Yeah, ATM. So, I mean, I mean, I really like, really, I'm, I mentioned before Lynch, for instance. I have so much admiration for his curiosity for new technology. I don't know this this short film that with the monkey. It's a, I feel that that you know also sometimes people are talking about camera movements in my movie, but all these camera movements they are done in the most primitive way. It's like I I, I feel that I do like you know like a little bit like Frere Lumiere on steroids or something like this but it's very basic it's like a guy holding the camera and instead of doing like this maybe he's doing like this so I don't know I don't know well um, we definitely need to wrap it up but I know that Jamshi there was something you wanted to share this is you know in uh, Iran uh, they issue uh, permits for the movies that are good for two years and Darush Mehjui, I don't know if you know him, he's one of the most respected Iranian filmmakers. At the time when he started the Iranian New Way with the movie The Cow, Kiarostami uh, wasn't even making movies. But they knew each other, they're the same age. And uh, so for the last movie that Mehjui made, it was called uh, La Minor, and the censors gave him a permit a little more than two years ago. But then because they couldn't show the movie during these past two years, you know, the COVID problem and the theaters, that permit was revoked. And he couldn't be more angry. So this is an 83-year-old guy, as I mentioned, very well respected. And he went on... Uh, uh, social media and started attacking the government. So that went viral. And then uh, two days later, uh, thanks to the Vika, <laughs> I saw your, your movie. And the way Mehji was ranting in his uh, video was so similar to the ranking, to the ranting of uh, your main character. And I, I just wanted to because it was really striking to me to just mention how he was talking about yelling at the top of his voice, saying that I am protesting. This is the screen, and showing the permit. This is the screen permit for my recent movie. The movie is not like milk or meat with an expiration date. You gave me this permit. Why do you revoke your own permit? You've banned my movies. You destroyed one of them. 
And then he talks about somebody who was a deputy minister and after seeing one of these old movies that was banned, he had complained that watching your, this movie broke my back. And now he says, I wish your back had been broken when you were reading the script. Because the Iranian filmmakers have to submit their script for approval and receive a production permit. He said, I wish your back had been broken back then, because then we wouldn't have spent two or three years making this movie, or putting all this effort into it. And now he, met, he goes to the current minister saying, who are you? Who the hell are you? I have a degree in philosophy from the best American university, and you're judging my film? Who the hell are you? What are your credentials? What are your achievements? You hide behind the curtain like ghosts and issue decrees? I can't take it anymore. I'm going to come to your office for a sitting along with my assistants and want to stop until I get what is my right. You esteemed minister of guidance, you better listen to me. I won't take it anymore and I'm going to fight. You can come and kill me. Here's my chest. Hit me, hit me, destroy me, kill me. Do whatever you want, but I will fight for my right. I will fight. So compare that to what you hear at the end of uh, the It was very moving. Amazing, yeah, totally. Well, thank you so much, both of you, for joining us. Thank you, everybody, for attending. The Film Comment Podcast features original music by Greg Einge. Film Comment is a publication of film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has been the home of independent film journalism, publishing in-depth interviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, arthouse, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com.